0: Welcome back to this week's episode of Quick Bits, covering the week of June 5th through the 9th. I streamed quite a lot because there was quite a lot going on. So today I am covering what happened with Jorn Vandersloot being extradited. And I will tell you why you remember that name if you haven't gotten all the way caught up. Then a lot going on in Idaho with Brian Koberger and two very big hearings we need to talk about. Finally, there's a lot of lawsuits regarding chat GPT and I can't look away. It's like, it, it, it's just sucked me in like Vanderpump rules and I can't stop. So we're gonna be talking a little bit about those two. Let's buckle up. It's time for the Quick Bits. I'm legal analyst, Emily D. Baker. This is the Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and the Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. It is summer season, and I know that that means you are probably very busy. I am also probably very busy. Well, no, I'm going to be very busy. So we are going to have some schedule shifts with live streams and the rest of it. Make sure you are signed up to LawNerdAlert.com. Just go to www.lawnerdalert.com. It's our free email list and it will make sure you stay in the loop when we have upcoming live streams, when Quick Bits episode drops, when there's new podcasts, especially as the schedule shifts around a little bit for the summer. So make sure you sign up now. It's free and it will keep you in the loop with all the things, especially when you're looking to stay up to date quickly. First, we're going to talk about the podcast episode from this week, because on The Emily Show, I talked about the extradition of Jorn van der Sloot. It's a name you might recognize. I think I am pronouncing Sloot wrong, Sloot, van der Sloot. I am not pronouncing it well. He's Dutch. I am not doing it justice. But either way, he has been extradited from where he is spending over 26 years in custody in Peru for a murder conviction there that he actually pled guilty to. He has been extradited to the United States due to an extradition charge from 2010 of Natalie Holloway's mother. You may remember that Natalie Holloway was a uh, young American. She was just over 18 years old on a high school trip to Aruba when she went missing. And Jorn van was the prime suspect In that unsolved disappearance, she was declared legally dead in 2012 after that 2005 disappearance. In 2010, it's alleged that Vandersloot called or tried to reach Natalie Holloway's mother through the mother's attorney and demanded $250,000 for information about what happened to Natalie Holloway and where her remains were located. Some money was transferred to Vandersloot. The attorney flew down to Aruba and met with him. Vandersloot showed the attorney a location where he said Natalie's remains were located, and all of that was being tracked by the FBI and others. He was then charged with extortion later then indicted by a grand jury for extortion in 2010. But by that time, he had left Aruba and could not be extradited and had gone to Peru. It was May 30th, 2010, that he committed that murder in Peru that he subsequently pled guilty for and is now serving a prison sentence for. So he is back in the United States to stand trial for that 2010 indictment on extortion and wire fraud. I went through the court record. There's some really strange stuff in there. There is a motion that was filed pro-per, but the person who filed it was Jorn Vandersloot's wife, they say at the time. It was a handwritten motion. It can't be pro-per because that's in reference to the defendant representing themselves, and this is not a defendant in the case, nor a lawyer, but wrote that she knew that it was not Jorn Vandersloot that killed Natalie Holloway, that it was his father. And she went through this motion to dismiss, blaming Natalie Holloway's mother, saying that they didn't look where Jorn Vandersloot told them to look. It is a wild motion. So if you want the full breakdown of that, it's on The Emily Show. He has since pled not guilty, and I will be following that case. I imagine it will probably go to trial. I don't imagine that he will plead guilty on this because during the course of his extradition, he will stay in the United States during a prosecution and appeal process. It is my opinion that he might prefer custody in the United States to what's been going on in custody for him in Peru. We'll see. Let's talk real quick about everything going on with ChatGPT. These two lawyers in New York filed motions citing six cases that apparently ChatGPT just made up. And I couldn't fathom what that looked like until the second ChatGPT story this week, wherein ChatGPT's parent company, OpenAI, is being sued for defamation. Emily, can an AI chatbot be sued for defamation? Uh, well, we're gonna see. I got a lot of questions. But in that lawsuit, the plaintiff attaches a lawsuit that ChatGPT made up alleging that the plaintiff was being sued for a whole bunch of financial crimes and being sued by the company that they never worked for. It's a wild lawsuit on defamation, but it also has the full printout showing how ChatGPT made up a complete case when asked to cite its sources for what it said. So, we have these lawyers in New York that cited six cases to the federal court that were made up by ChatGPT. And then, when the court asked for an annex to their motion providing all of the cases, they went back to ChatGPT and asked. And they said in their motion to the court with regard to the sanctions hearing that ChatGPT unabashedly lied to them. They said that they were beguiled by the technology. Oh, yes. They were basically arguing the siren song of ChatGPT is what prevented them from doing adequate legal research. It seems that they're not going to escape sanctions in this case, but the law firm doubled all the way down that this was just all ChatGPT's fault. And these lawyers had no way to know that ChatGPT would just make things up out of the blue it's bananas. I covered it both on Tuesday and Thursday because I am so flabbergasted. The court hasn't ruled yet, but I will be covering that ruling. I think we're going to see sanctions here. I think these attorneys could be subject to further discipline for not adhering to the standards of legal research that are required once submitting things before the court and for doubling back down on it. And they said, whoopsie, we didn't know it could do that. Well. Now they do. This question of lawyers, AI, and ChatGPT is going to be very interesting because where does it fall within the bounds of practice when you're outsourcing legal research that you're then submitting to the court? And I think the court's ruling is going to give us a little bit of a uh, a little bit of guidance on that. And I imagine the federal court is less than thrilled there too order to show causes regarding sanctions showed that the court was uh, was feeling real fiery about six fake cases. Yeah. And then I wonder if at this point the client asks for their money back and finds new lawyers, but we'll see what happens because I can't look away. I'm beguiled. Looking at the Brian Koberger prosecution in Idaho. There were a ton of new filings. This court system is so frustrating to me because filings will pop up on the public website, but we can't see the docket. So you don't know when things are filed or not. And they will pop up days later with the date days back. I'm constantly like, how did I miss this? Wait, this wasn't here. So it is is a push-pull with Idaho for transparency in the cases there. But there were two large motions being heard on Friday, June 9th. I covered the first motion hearing that was about an hour long on Friday in the live stream. I have not covered the second motion. I'll be covering that in this coming week because it went so late in the day. Those two motion hearings were essentially about the gag order and cameras in the courtroom The court has indicated that they have never banned cameras in the courtroom. This is a unique case. I ranted a bit on Friday about why I believe cameras are important in the courtroom. And the court has indicated that an open to the public court means, well, that the public can come in, that news media can come in and report what happens, but that doesn't necessarily extend to technology and cameras in the courtroom. So we will see what this court decides to do. I hope that they take a note from the court in Paltrow, from the court in Brooks, and the court can put limitations on it. Hey, you need to focus on who's talking. You can't just zoom in on the defendant the entire time and uses some reasonable limitations instead of just yeeting cameras entirely from the courtroom. And I hope that's what they don't do. I hope that's a last resort for them. Furthermore, there were also hearings on the gag order. The court has not ruled on these yet. Those rulings will be coming in writing down the road. But the attorneys for the Gonsalves family, Shannon Gray, was arguing that he is not to be restrained by the court's gag order and that it's overbroad because he's not the attorney for a party. So he shouldn't be part of that gag order, he should be able to speak to the media. And the court sassed back at him at one point and said, well, I've seen you on the media. So where where are you restrained? And it was a push-pull between Shannon Gray saying, Your Honor, I think you're missing the point, and I don't think you have the authority to do that. And the court saying, oh, I assure you, I understand, and I assure you, I have the authority to do this. But where is this gag order in relation to victims' families and any representation they might have? Are they restrained? Or are they not restrained? And are different agencies using the gag order as an excuse to not turn over records, which is what we see in the media's argument about the gag order? The media argument was in the afternoon on Friday, and they're arguing that the gag order is so broad that law enforcement agencies, even those not in right in Moscow, Idaho, aren't turning over things like 911 calls and past records, citing back to the gag order. And we have saw a lot of motions and affidavits of individuals in the media trying to obtain information through public records requests, requests from law enforcement, and even interviews, and that they're not able to do so. But the courts already clapped back on some of that too, saying there are stories about this case daily. So how is the media being constrained here when they are putting things out? about this case almost daily. There are also some other motions that I went over on Friday while we were waiting for all of the hearing footage to come in, because right now, Idaho is releasing those on a delayed basis. We have the defense asking for more time with regard to presenting any alibi information that they might use at trial to the prosecution, saying they need to go through all of what the prosecution's turned over before they can turn that over. I think the court will grant that. We had some motions to seal Uh, Discovery that's being turned over with regard to the victims and others that those are going to be sealed. They will only see the light um, of day for the public if things are used at trial. Those are really fairly standard procedure. And then, of course, we saw all of the motions with regard to cameras in the courtroom. And the gag orders. I'm very interested to see what the court does here in Idaho. Let me know what stories you are following along with and what information you need more. Of course, I will link below all of the streams covering those things on Tuesday, Thursday, and on Friday. If you don't think there's tea in this ChatGPT story, I will tell you what. It is one of the wildest things I have seen lawyers do in quite a while. It makes me want to bring back the lawyers in the news segment of what what the fuckery lawyers are up to. Let me know if you're interested. We might alternate it with some food court, some food court, some lawyers in the news, but I am going to be covering the growth of AI and law because if you can sue AI for defaming someone, how do you get to a public figure malice statement that the AI like willfully disregarded the truth. I don't know. I don't know how we get there. And I'm real interested to find out what the courts are going to do with it. All right. I will see you in the next one. Thanks for being a law nerd. Thanks for being with me for the quick bits. I hope you have a great week for deep dives into the stories that I covered here. You can find them on my YouTube channel at The Emily D. Baker and The Emily Show Podcast. I stream every Tuesday and Thursday. The podcast goes live on Wednesdays. And if you want more Law Nerd community, come join us at lawnerdsunite.com.